Welcome to Building Conversations, a construction podcast powered by the STO Building Group. On today's episode, Jason Monks, the leader of Structure Tone Dublin's Mission Critical Division, will be talking about the 65-year evolution of data and data centers with Gary Connolly, founder and president of Host in Ireland, a global initiative created to increase awareness of the benefits of hosting digital assets in Ireland. Jason Munz here from Structure Tone Ireland. I am part of the STO Building Group. In my 13th year with Structure Tone and now specialising in data centres, leading up as the Director for Mission Critical here in Ireland, part of the international brand, leading into STO Group headquarters back in New York. This morning we have a very esteemed guest, Mr. Gary Connolly from Holston, Ireland, who's going to introduce himself. Hi, Jason, thank you so much. Uh... As Jason says, Gary Connolly, I'm founder of Holston Ireland. I'm a failed COBOL programmer, if the truth be known. I came out of college to be a programmer and I realised very quickly that um, I was really rubbish as an engineer. But one of the things I realised was uh, not all great engineers were great communicators. And not all great engineers, as probably many of you and your listeners know, uh, actually listen to what the end user wants. And so I was that sort of meeting in the middle of the sandwich, taking the buffer of what the guy wanted and what the engineers were listening to and that got me on my journey with data i've been fascinated with data in fact i've been uh, often called a digital optimist when all others are looking at the negatives associated with data i say well let's be optimistic about it and uh, obviously that brings us today to where we are discussing the centers which is obviously the location that the data sits and gets distributed from so thank you to structure tone for the opportunity to talk about data and hopefully you've got a bit to say about centres and when you join them together we'll talk about data centres. Gary, fabulous introduction, thank you very much. A bit like myself, I uh, didn't start in the data centre industry, started off doing comms rooms for one of the large US financial institutions which then developed into data centres providing services for same. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into the data centre market? And as I said earlier, I came out of college as a programmer, but essentially my love was with data, the power of it, what it could do and what it couldn't do. And, you know, at that stage, though, it was on floppy disks. We stored on floppy disks, we saved on floppy disks, then hard disks were developed, and personal computers. Then we connected all the personal computers together and we called them LANs or networks. Then we decided that wasn't such a great idea and we developed the cloud. And the cloud really is just a matter of moving those servers that you used to have in your premises to somewhere else because it will possibly be more secure. So that's the evolution. If you track data and how we look at it and how we use it and how it becomes part of our day-to-day -day lives, really I, I just see where I am now as the evolution from floppy disks to hard disks to data centers. And uh, where they live and where the servers live is obviously now in a custom-built data center. And by that approach, and I say you've approached it from the data is what got you involved in yeah. this really interesting, yeah. challenging, but hugely rewarding sector of the industry. Yeah. And I've come from, from the smart center side, yeah. which is the design, the construction, the commissioning, someone else operates it typically, mm -hmm. but you can't have one without the other. And something you said earlier, without data, the centers that we build are simply glorified logistic warehouses. Yeah. So it's a, an intricate, operation to manage the two entities here, data and the center. 
Ireland is now world known for is the data centre development. And, and just before we go on to Ireland, I guess one of the important things to remember is data centres are the manifestation today holding data, which is the fulcrum part of the Industrial Revolution 4.0. And I think that is part of the why. Data is today what steam was in the first Industrial Revolution. So when we consider, sort of, oh, it's only a dot-com bubble, it's going to go away, should we have this before, and all the rest. The fundamentals and what we have to be mindful of is data is steam. It's the actual part of everything to do with every industry. And we often then think, as you know, about the, the Facebooks and the Googles and the Microsofts and all these types of companies. Um, every industry and every sector now, from agriculture to life sciences to biosciences to everything, is driven by data. You know, IDC have recently quoted that of the 100% of data that will be on the planet in 2025, there's 7% of it right now. So that gives you a sense that data is creating data to give out more data. And we'll talk about some of the positives and the negatives of that. But it's so important to realize that it is basically the oxygen of the digital universe. Now, I'm really interested that you touched on the, the new industrial revolution. It's not new, it's here. It's developing, isn't it? Well, it's just evolving. Yeah. You know, and that's the key thing is that I, I read a lot about uh, industry sectors that are about to embrace digitization. Digitization has already happened. And if you're only learning about it now, you're probably way behind. When you consider small things like the largest taxi company in the world doesn't own a single taxi, and it's called Uber. The largest advertising and marketing company on the planet, bar none, is Facebook, and it doesn't actually have an agency. The largest retailer that ever was doesn't have any shop fronts, very few, and that's Amazon. And it goes on and on and on. Airbnb, the largest hotel group in the world, they don't own any hotels. So when you think about well, what is the common denominator of them, data, access to data, access to smart devices, smart handhelds, but fundamentally in the back is data, analytics of data, distribution of data, always on, always the same quality of service. So that's the key thing that we should remember. It's an evolution um, of our relationship with data. You know, uh, whereas 20 years ago, you went to interface with data in your office and then you came home. Now people interface with data all the time, from the start to the middle to the end. Excellent. And as we know, data centers, data and centers, they're global. Yeah. They're ever expanding. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's an unstoppable force, but an unstoppable force created by people their habits, what they do for fun, what they do for work, okay. how things are managed. And Ireland seems to have grasped a really large piece of that sector, totally disproportionate to the size of Ireland, the size of our population, the yeah. size of our GDP. So what makes Ireland such a great market for data centres? Both the data to transfer the storage, the generation of it, and the centres to accommodate it. Is it the location, the workforce, tax incentives, other factors? Sure I, th I think foreign direct investment is complex and data centers of the data and the value is, is, is just another form of foreign direct investment for Ireland. Ireland now is sort of in the shadow of a very large oak tree that was planted 65 years ago when IBM decided to establish its very first non-North American operation in Dublin. So as you can imagine, that trust by IBM with Ireland started and that spawned then 
Digital Equipment Corporation, Nixdorf, Wang, all these companies that are, are subsequently gone, but they were the Googles, Microsofts and Amazon of their era. They went away and they were replaced then with the likes of Informix, Oracle, BAM, Supercar, Lotus, software companies. They, they, they morphed, then they were replaced by Gateway 2000, Dell, AST, and then we went to the cloud. So really what we're seeing now is the 60 years of continuous trust in Ireland to understand the question. Because the key thing is, do you understand the question? And if you understand the question as a person, as an industry or as a country, then you're able to actually give an answer. And Ireland realized that North American companies, if they wanted to globalize, needed a place to put down roots. And therefore, when IBM put down roots in 1956, it made it much easier. And we're seeing it today that the guys join IBM, they get great discipline, great skills. Then they say, okay, I'm ready for my next senior position. And therefore, there are available skills for the next guy. Deck comes in, we're looking for senior people. I know it. And, and so therefore, really what we're seeing, different to some other markets, Ireland's status as the largest single cluster of data centers in Europe is actually just an evolution from when IBM came here 60 years ago. But more to the point, I think um, to me, uh, and it's really timely because Intel have announced another four or five billion capital investment into Ireland. Their first investment was exactly 30 years ago. Now, when you talk about data centers and you talk about clean rooms and you talk about mission critical, the skills and services that companies, indigenous Irish companies, mechanical, electrical, construction, right the way down to sprinkler systems, learned 30 years ago when data centers weren't even an asset class of note, that skills and services were ingrained, health and safety, how to do things, how to proceduralize things, how to actually document and go again. So all of the companies now that I could write down, and a lot of the employees, even probably with yourself and Structure Tone, worked on Intel, or worked on Pfizer down in Cork, or worked on other mission critical assets. When data centers then arrived around 2000, we were ready, ready for action. We understood the question. <laughs> we understood that, okay, floppy disks are going, now you're gonna to go to cloud, which is a different way of delivering software. But the guys didn't have to scratch their heads and say, Oh, and I don't understand how you proceduralize things. So now you're starting to see the dividend, both here and with your good sales, where you're now based in Ireland, exporting skills. It's incredible to see that you're using Ireland as this nexus and this sort of center of the spoke to export those skills to other geographic locations like Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam. So effectively Ireland now is, and always has been, a optimum place to rest data whether it's on a floppy disk or even a punch card, <laughs> for your older listeners, floppy disk, hard disk, or the cloud. And everything evolves. And I think most people are realizing trust is probably the key thing. And you only gain trust through time. You don't get it, you earn it. Really hitting the point there. It's not so much does Ireland attract data center companies or vice versa, field of tech. It's an evolution. And what we see as an evolution on the contracting side here, specifically, is the evolution of what we provide as a service. So companies that we started servicing in the early 2000s.com and at the time STL had I think 10 to 12 offices in Europe we were building data centers and people didn't realize they needed a data center but they wanted one so we built them. Yeah. Whether it was for a financial house or a Yahoo back in the day or an AOL even. Mm. But what we really see is the evolution now on the construction side 
it's not just what we're doing here in Ireland. A lot of our competitors, our peers, our subcontractors, and you alluded to it earlier, the specialist mechanical and electrical companies, the specialist logistics companies, the sprinklers, the fire alarm guys, who started off doing the Intel work, then into the dot-com. Hmm. They are now one of the most sought-after trades in mainland Europe, hmm. whether it's the Nordics, the Benelux, including Amsterdam, going down to Frankfurt and over to Paris. It's Irish contractors. Are leading the way. Totally, yeah. We've been doing this. We want to do it. We want to improve our process. Mm-hmm. We want to bring that service that we've done for you in Ireland all across Europe. And, and getting back to your initial question, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is it tax? Is it this? Is it the other? Foreign direct investments is a really difficult thing uh, to put a finger on. But my sense is, after working in it for thirty odd years now, it's relationships. But I mean, that's no surprise to anybody. Is that relationships are everything in sport, in business. You know, you see this uh, uh, in Europe and particularly in Britain now, you've got all these soccer coaches that go, but a soccer coach comes in, he just doesn't come in on his own, he brings about 20 fellas. You know, it's a team, he brings in a whole team who trust him and, and all the rest. And that's the same now that we're starting to see, and not just US companies looking at Europe, they're looking at APAC companies that are coming in and they're looking at the Irish, whether they're going to host state in Ireland or not, they're looking at the Irish contractors to navigate them through the geography of, of Europe. Which to me, at my age, is something that I am so proud of Ireland on because our generation, you're even much younger than I, but our generation, you had one option and that was a boat or a plane to go when you graduated. You know, now you can do that. You can learn, but you can come back from work or you can stay here and actually you have an option. Whether you want to or not, the option is there now. Or with some of the companies you've mentioned, you can get double dip. You can be working for an Irish company located in Europe. I mean, repatriating in those types of funds. We've always been ridiculed for where, where this platform for a lot of external companies using Ireland as a base to repatriate. Now we're doing that. Brilliant. That'll lead us on to something I want to talk about, which is hosting Ireland. Mm. Um, as an outsider to the industry, you look at Irish data centres, hosting Ireland is one of the most predominant platforms you're going to see out there mm. for putting out the message of what hosting Ireland can do, what the data industry can do. It's competition, it's cooperation. What Hosting Ireland seem to have done, and it, it's very evident from all of the social media platforms, from all of the news feeds and out there, you've brought together people that you would not normally mm. expect to be sitting around in a circle, exchanging ideas, having a free expression on the challenges that they're having. So why did you start Hosting Ireland and how has it evolved to what it is now? It's a great uh, question because it was a bet. It was an actual bet because I was on an air out at the time and I couldn't work in the industry so I had to work on it and uh, so to your point I called a few friends who happened to be the head of Tally City in Ireland, the head of Sunguard in Ireland, the head of Digital Realty, the head of Viatel who are data centre or transit or telecoms companies and I effectively said what I truly believed. I think that governments as a institution should support industry not the other way around. I think because they're in the industry, all governments and everybody else work are on the industry. And I, I, I thought that maybe if we could get those competitors to not look at each other when they came to sit around the table as competitors, but co-opetition people, i.e. there's an opportunity here at money levels to have a constant common voice. I used actually at the time Tony O'Reilly, who was a very famous Irish rugby player, um, uh, who had just been appointed in 1971 as the first CEO of Board Bia. Um, up to that point, with the common agricultural policy in Europe, you had Irish butter was being sold at the same price as all other butters. 
whether it was from Greece, whether it was from Spain, whether it was from, and I'm not disingenuous to any of those, but I believe from those that are in agriculture, Irish butter actually is a bit better. And what he did was, he said, this is nuts. We've got to sell a load of it to the common agricultural policy with restrictions, but let's hold a little bit back, put a gold bar on it, call it Kerrygold, and the tagline should be Kerrygold, Irish butter, the best butter in the world. And as a result of that, him declaring clearly a message, every single dairy creamery in Ireland was suddenly lifted up by just the association with this small gold bar. And what I wanted to do was to say to people, if you're sort of beating each other up at a dairy level in that comparison, you're not really differentiating yourself from others. So I wanted the guys just to come together and say, host in Ireland, that's very clear, Find common ground that you're not beating each other up or your features and benefits, and then clearly communicate that all of you in a clear message. Because if I'm buying an Audi car and four dealerships are telling me four different things about the same car, I'd probably go and I'll buy a BMW because you lost trust with the brand. So we just basically got the guys to trust that if we had our whole philosophy was going to be, why would you rest date in Ireland? We didn't even talk about the centres because the centres are the how you host, they're not the why you host. So if you can get somebody to believe that data should be sitting in Ireland, then whether you have a big centre, a small centre, or a blue or green or yellow one by the brands, it's secondary. So you buy into the fact that it's because of policies, pedigree, people, power and pipes, the five Ps. And that was basically the five P message that all these guys went out to say. And suddenly you had people say, okay, well, I, I get the Ireland thing. Now who's there that I could use? So it was all based on, on the premise that they had to leave their ego and their own balance sheet at the door. And it's still that way. Leave your ego and your balance sheet at the door. Sit down and let's find whatever it might be are the common things that we don't have to go through all your legal groups or your thing. And through that, what happened, but really what happened was competitors sat down in a room and having scones and coffee regularly and realized that they bleed, all of them. They get colds, all of them. They all have kids. They all have schools. They're human. And suddenly now you've got a group of people who actually don't even see each other's competitors. And hosting Ireland as a platform now has changed so significantly from just bring your data to Ireland to also look at the quality of the Irish contractors that will export and mine your data. So it's built to a community of companies that host data, design, build, operate centres, and now what we're bringing in, and I guess you always know that an asset class is here for the long run, is the professional services companies are coming in, the legal and the fiscal. So it's now a community, not just those original five. And I think also it's, it's uh, I think you might have alluded to, we like, and it's a we now, rather than me, we like to build a relationship with a person, irrespective of your brand you represent. And if we really like the person and they get the ethos and they get the whole thing of the more we promote and help each other and pat each other on the back, the more we can grow. And even if you get 2% of a very large market, it's better 100% of a very small one. And often, and, and we joked earlier, often we have people that have 15 month probation period to come into Austin, Ireland. Um, but notwithstanding that, it's about the people and then it's about the brands. Um, and it's about a community and an ecosystem of importing data and exporting uh, skills and services like yourselves. Um, you're a partner here in Ireland because you've got substance here, but I would see uh, Host in Ireland also acting as a platform for you also and the other partners and your peers to meet other countries and people from countries through the platform which is Host in Ireland. Absolutely, you can see Host as a platform that will help structure by cooperating in competition 
some of the guys that have been there with you for years, guys that we respect, that do a Trojan job. But the strength of the brand of Hosting Ireland, but you can use that for the greater good, particularly in the data center market, whether it's design operating, um, even the construction elements of it. One interesting drive that Host is involved in is the bees. Oh yeah, biodiversity, yeah. Biodiversity, ecology. What you guys are giving out there is a message, whether it's planting saplings up in the Dublin mountains in the depths of winter. Yeah. But the bees is a really interesting one because without bees, we probably wouldn't be sitting around this table. Yeah, but isn't it interesting where you get these ideas and when you allow yourself and your mind to be open, to be taught by 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds. And they're my children. I have a 10-year-old and a 16-year-old. And within three months of each other, one of them came back and cited the Barack Obama statement that was... Uh, we're the first generation to know all the facts and the last generation to be able to make any meaningful change to it and that was staggering but lots of words and then my other child came home one day and uh, she just told me do you know dad that 38 percent of all the bees in ireland face extinction by 2050. that was really more tangible because i hadn't thought about that and then you think well what's that what's that an indication of well that's actually the bees are just an outward looking of our biodiversity Biodiversity is really just how planet Earth is breeding and, and all the rest. So that was the actual uh, driver for my children. Then we looked at the great community we had. That actually the community were saying to us, we need to have more purpose. You know, what should we be doing? What else can we do? And therefore, in, in, we realized that we're just enthusiastic amateurs. You need to wrap yourself around people who know what they're doing. So then we went to the National Biodiversity Center we built on this idea of well, what are your challenges? You know, understanding the question, what are your challenges? And they said, messaging. <laughs> We're a messaging platform. Getting it more out there that these lads, as to your point, are responsible for 70% of our um, food sources, natural pollination, etc. So working with them, we have uh, launching this year with yourself and the other partners, we're actually gonna launch a data center specific pollinator plan. So it'll be for the data center industry and all sectors of the industry, whether you've got 40 acres of a campus and you want to leave 20 acres of that in wildflower, or you have an office in town and you want to have a bee hotel, it'll be a 101 run book for the data center industry. And already, because we're starting to publish it, other industries now say, oh, we'd like a piece of that. It can't be so difficult. So you just act as this catalyst to actually be more mindful of it. Um, and in our own little way, I guess, um, we're trying to help Ireland and by inclination then if we can carry the message to the places um, that, that if we all plant one tree, if we all don't cut our grass twice a week, maybe every three weeks, that there are consequences of those actions. So yeah, that, that was DCs for Bees and, and uh, it was bloody awful up mountain though when we were planting the trees. It was the most rainy day in Ireland in about seven years, and, uh, but it was memorable. And again, about the people. Uh, the people all rocked up, including your own colleagues. Uh, they were mighty with a shovel, is what they say in Ireland. <laughs> There's an interesting part of that, I'm just jumping in. I think it's really the DC designers, the professional services that are there, whether it's the environmental impact guys, the transport guys, with the pressures that are being put on and have been put on on data centers because of the Green Credential. Mm. It seems that if you're a designer or a builder or an operator of a data center, You've been forcing it down this road for a while. So it's been embraced early days and it's evolving. We can see that one of the projects we're doing now, we're putting in natural 
wetlands yeah. as part of the data set. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Our biggest challenge is uh, how do we make it natural because it has to be man made to be yeah, natural. No, yeah. <laughs> but and it sounds contradictory, but the benefits that it'll bring on, you've got another seven acres of what previously wasn't there, yeah. natural wetlands. 100 years ago it was when the, yeah. the natural water course was running through it, yeah. or a green wall that's 20 metres tall and 60 metres wide. Because um, I think the world is full of advocacy and awareness now. And it's, it's, we need to move individually, collectively, sector into action. And it's, it's a challenge for us is the biodiversity, the ecology going green, and you've really hit the nail on the head on one of the key challenges. But alongside that, what would you see are the biggest challenges facing the data centre industry? whether it's in development or evolving over the next five to 10 years, what do you see as the, the main challenges, Gary? When, when I look at and listen to people like yourselves and, and, and you look at the run rate, and we also, as we said in this call um, earlier, 7% of data now versus 100% in 2025, just the amount of delivery that has to be executed to the same standard, that unless the industry moves more towards potentially sort of like the hotel industry where there's a lot of prefab where there's a lot of that type of stuff it could be just the pure nature of manpower the amount of men and women that are available to deliver the capacity that's required and um, i think that there is a, uh, a duty of care also on the four to five companies that are driving 80 percent to not squeeze out every last cent of profit you know for the efficiency of getting it done there has to be a, a sense of we are together as a community to deliver this run rate but there seems to be from some sources saying they want what they got last year but they want it quicker and they want it cheaper something will break that's a real risk whether it's a data center industry or whether it's any industry something generally breaks so i think that will happen and how will that happen what we're starting to see is a lot of the people moving across from the data center, data people, Amazon Google, into the sub-supply. There's more empathy. A maturing market will always have stages where there's us and them, and then they cross over, and we've got to empathize, because these are the problems. And then eventually we'll find the common ground where what's possible and what's real within the budget and the timeline becomes the norm. There's no magic formula, is there? No. Like, what are you seeing? Are you seeing more modularization and more sort of off-site type? Well, we've seen a lot of modularization, particularly on power pods, but you've hit it there, like, power, it's a problem. You overcome it. It's not as big a problem as it actually is. Connectivity, there was a problem when there was none, but there is connectivity and there's more coming of it. Yeah. Um, space, it's a problem. You move further away from the T50 out into the country a little bit, yeah. and the connectivity follows you out there. Yeah. There are all challenges you can fix and there's opportunities in it. And the customer wants to build quicker. So modular. Um, put your switchgear and your UPSs in a building and hook it up onto the site and cable it up in two or three days. But all of that comes back to what I find is the biggest challenge for us out there. Is people. Definitely the biggest challenge. I that is, that is a global challenge. Yeah. You know, it's a global challenge. But, but if you can't get people, it often drives innovation. It often drives innovation because even now when you go to some of the events, you see some amazing startup scale up on AI algorithm guys who really are bringing building management systems to a whole new level, you know, and that brings innovation because you're, you know, the ultimate is to solve a problem. But the speed though, Jason, is just unprecedented. You know, 100 billion capital spent last year in data centers, 120 billion projected this year. 
I mean, I don't think, if you, even if you look back to oil and gas, you know, and that's the opportunity. That's the opportunity for some of your subdivisions. That's the opportunity for companies like yourself to acquire AI companies. So rather than actually, because, you know, if you, you want, if you want to be disrupted, just do nothing. If you want to disrupt yourself, then you're likely to be there in two, three years' time. And that's the opportunity. That's what we're seeing. And with your engagement with the owners, the early days, the guys that want to invest and build, whether it's in Ireland or export higher services to Europe, what sort of trends are you seeing from particularly the US and Asia? What do you see as the future of this? I, I guess like we started earlier, and, and uh, to me, the data is the why and the center is the how. I might have said that earlier. So if you look at the trends in data, to me, it's like a Russian doll. You think of a Russian doll, you have huge Russian dolls, and then they feed into each other and into each other and into each other. And we're finally entering, in this decade we'll see it, where we have fit for purpose compute. What does that mean? We're going to now have such a variety of options that the size and scale of the center and the compute power of the storage will fit the application. So when we see the trends, and, and, and you don't have to believe me, but when a child from Kurdistan wins 3.2 million in uh, Fortnite for the World Championship versus Tiger Woods who wins 2.9 for the Open, you know there's a change taking place. So gaming, holograms, last mile at the edge, that stuff is quite intensive. So you're gonna see, uh, like you do at the moment um, for your telecoms, BNs and ANs in every single jurisdiction. And that'll be fit for purpose. That'll be, that'll be optimum to whatever apps at that time. You'll have a 5G antenna into it because it all has to work. There's no point in having a box at the end if you've nothing antenna that can't capture the data. So 5G, just bigger bandwidth, will draw edge. But it'll be feeding into a municipality centre, which will feed into a country centre, which will feed into a continent centre, which will subsequently feed then into bigger hyperscales. So it really is, in your mind, I often think is, if you think of the Russian doll, one's feeding into the other, feeding into the other, feeding into the other. Um, so I think fit for purpose is coming along the lines there'll only be more data and um, people are becoming more optimal with their data i think big data is a term you hear everywhere i think big companies are going to go to little data let's hold only the amount of data we opt optimally need to and that's been driven by gdpr data privacy data protection um, and then video video is just the biggie all forms of video ar vr um, but i think everything evolves in the hype cycle um, and we're going to see more centers, small ones, medium, large ones, gigantic ones. Um, and we're going to see them in the locations that are fit for their purpose. And what's the purpose, whatever application they're trying to service. But um, the one thing is for sure is that data is the oxygen of the industrial revolution, 4.0. The more data, the more centers, the more centers by size and scale. Uh, Ireland's relationship with that, I think Ireland has a very solid relationship with data going forward. We're a tier one location, therefore, um, when you consider that there are only maybe 10 other tier one locations in the world, um, and we're exporting all these skills, one will balance the other. Um, but sitting here with three Irish guys who are exporting their skills, New York, Dublin, and everywhere else, I think that's what makes me proud to be in an industry, or part of an industry that is exporting skills and services, rather than just exporting people. Gary Conley, it's been memorable. We really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. We could go on for probably another two hours, but we might have to sign up. Can't afford me. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Building Conversations.